So we're coming this morning to the second lesson, second meditation on the new covenant. Last week we started that and I didn't have a handout then, but I knew I would have a handout this week because we'll get much further in our consideration of the new covenant. So you have listed on that one sheet the nine basic concepts of the new covenant. And let me let me underscore the fact that uh, then the doctrine of the covenant is the way in which we think about the scriptures, uh, the way that we understand how God accomplishes his great works of salvation, of extending his kingdom. He does it by means of covenant. So we're coming back this morning to covenant and there'll be some brief review. I just remind you uh, some of the things I've, I've I, in, in my notes, which I give you, I try to put more scriptures than I can cover in, in the, uh, in the meditation time, because I want you to be able to go back and look at those passages and well, as well and see how they fit in the doctrine of the covenants. So we've already seen that the essential element of a covenant is an oath sworn promise. I, I say it uh, enough, you hear it enough, so that if somebody asks you what a covenant is, you'll be able to tell them. It's an, it's an oath sworn promise made by God for his people. And the new covenant is just that. Uh, the Lord Jesus said that when he instituted the Lord's Supper. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you. And one of the purposes, this is point number two, uh, that one of the purposes of God's covenant is to create the assurance of faith. There are many reasons why uh, many doubts which arise and trouble men's minds and hearts, and the covenant addresses those. Uh, the third thing we said is that the covenants, God's covenants are unilateral. And what I mean by that, I, again, just to emphasize and review, is that God determines what the covenants are, how the covenants function, what are the promises which God makes over to his people. It's not something that people dream up. It's not something that people say, well, I think this would be a good idea for God to do for me. Uh, no, God determines what the covenant was. And as I was meditating upon this yesterday, uh, it came to mind that the, the people there were people who were waiting for the kingdom of God. You have uh, uh, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. It says that about them, that they were looking for the kingdom of God. And that's another covenant term. Uh, it's, a, it's a kingdom. It's a covenant community. But uh, you do realize that many of the leaders of the Jews were not looking for a new covenant. They wanted to keep what they had, and that's one of the things that bothered them about the Lord Jesus. You see, one of the ways in which they accused Jesus of sinning is that they said that the temple was going to be destroyed and uh, various, various elements of New Covenant religion, they didn't like, they didn't want. Um, this is uh, one of the things that Jesus expresses in parable form in, in Luke 5.39. He says, uh, And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says the old is better. Uh, that's a parable 
about the leaders of the Jews in the days of our Lord's ministry. They said, what we have is fine. We don't need a new covenant. Um, and interestingly enough, the right to Hebrews has to write to the Jewish Christians of those early days, showing that the new covenant is a better covenant, showing that the new covenant is superior in so many ways. They didn't realize that even after the new covenant had come, they didn't appreciate the degree to which they had been blessed, greatly blessed by the new covenant. And so the right to Hebrews had to show them that the new covenant was superior in many ways. So this is what I mean when I say the new, co the new covenant, just like all the covenants, is unilateral. Men don't decide it. Men don't figure it out. Uh, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would be brought in the new covenant, they themselves were praying for more light. They didn't understand. And so God had to initiate the new covenant and establish the new covenant. It was unilateral. It was God's work, not man's work. Then the, the next thing that I pointed out, number four, is that the covenants established covenant communities. I'm not going to say any more about that. I just remind you that the church is God's new covenant community. And then uh, we said that God's covenants are interrelated. They're not identical, but they are interrelated. Not I hope either this week or in two you know, back in the begin uh, over in the beginning of October when I'm back. If we don't get to this point, we'll get to it then. Um, the covenants are interrelated. Then not identical. The new covenant is really new. It's not the same covenant. It's not a refurbished covenant. It's a new covenant. Um, but they are interrelated. And hopefully we'll be able to get to that in more detail today or the next time. Then God's covenants are progressively revealed. Uh, God doesn't just uh, open the whole thing all at once. But each covenant period has new revelations, additional details about the covenants. God's covenants are graciously redemptive. That doesn't need much, much clarification. That's that's just God's work is not by man's work, but by his works, by his grace. And then the new covenant makes demands, just like all the covenants. All the covenants involve demands. And this is why the Holy Spirit and the law of God are joined in the new covenant, the new covenant has the law of God written on the heart and the spirit of God is given to apply the forgiveness of sins. Let me turn you to a passage here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. This is the, the issue of the covenant involving what I call demands. It involves laws. In Hebrews chapter 10, you'll see how this is put. It's the second time that Jeremiah 31 is quoted by the writer. Verse 15. And again, it's very significant 
Then he starts with the phrase, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So, this is what the Holy Spirit says, and this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one who writes the law of God on the hearts of his people. It's written, it's given. The forgiveness of sins is, is given to forgive us for our many infractions of the law of God. And not to take the law of God away in forgiveness, but to write the law on the heart. And this is the work of God's Holy Spirit. And then the last thing, number nine, uh, that we made the point of is that all God's covenants point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. The new covenant is all about salvation in Jesus Christ. So one of the things that I was doing last time that we ran out of time is I was underscoring the fact that uh, all of the covenants point forward to the new covenant. They're not identical. The Bible makes it very clear that the new covenant is unique. And I, I know that this is something that I've said already, but we need to keep on reminding ourselves it is new. And we looked at the words that are used, Old Testament and New Testament. It says that the new covenant is New. It really is. There's something unique about it. It's a new instance. It's not refurbished. Um, it is a new covenant. You have the words in Jeremiah 31, he calls it the new covenant. And then in, um, in the Hebrews 8 passage, it's new, it's better. So uh, the, the question is, and I was asked this question by one of my pastors some time back. They said, I said, well, what makes the new covenant new? Because there's a lot of commonality, there's interrelationship between the covenants. So what makes it new? Well, uh, we said last time that the, new, the mediator makes the covenant new and better. And that's uh, since you're, if you're still in Hebrews just flip back a page to 9.15, Hebrews 9.15, where it's stated unambiguously. For this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since the death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, and that is what makes the new covenant new and better. The sacrifices of the Old Testament could not make the worshipers perfect. That's the language, again, of Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, but uh, Jesus' sacrifice, which was instituted at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry on earth, before he rose from the dead, that's what accomplishes what the Old Testament sacrifices could not, uh, could not accomplish. So the mediator makes the new covenant new and better. And then the constitution of the community, 
makes the new covenant new and better. Who is in the new covenant? You see, who is who are who are the parties? Who are the people who enjoy the benefits of the new covenant? Well, in the old covenant, it was the children of Abraham, the people God brought out of Egypt. Uh, that that was the covenant He made with them. Jeremiah thirty one thirty one. Now there were exceptions to that. There was the exception of Rahab. Rahab was incorporated into the. Uh, old Covenant community, and she actually, uh, remember in Matthew chapter 1, she appears in the genealogy uh, at the beginning of Matthew 1 about the Lord Jesus Christ, and her name is there as one of the members of the Old Covenant community, but she was a rare exception, and it's easy to think that um, the same group makes up both covenant communities, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because Jeremiah 31, 31 says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. See, so he identifies the people uh, based upon the old covenant. I'm making a covenant with them, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. So you might, you might think that the new covenant community is the same as the old covenant community. That's a possible thing to happen, but that's not what God does. Uh, look for a moment at Ephesians chapter 2. Don't think we got to this passage last time. We'll look at a, these two passages. Eph Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I may have referred to this last time. But this is what Paul is saying, is he's opening up and he, he calls this a mystery he calls this something that was not formally understood. He says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called circumcision by the so-called, uh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. And in there, the Apostle Paul is making a very subtle but real distinction. He says that the the people who are calling the Gentiles uncircumcision have a circumcision in the flesh performed by human hands. But actually, there is a circumcision that belongs to the New Covenant community, but it's done on the heart. You'll see that, I hope, uh, today. He says, remember that you at that time were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and with God, in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, etc. So here Paul states that the Gentiles who were formerly not part of the Old Covenant community, they were not part of the people of Israel, but now they become the people of God. Now they are part of the New Covenant community. <coughs> Let's look over at 1 Peter chapter 2, because here's a, here's a place where the Apostle Peter underscores 
the basis on which people are included or excluded from the new covenant community. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll start reading at verse 4. Peter's talking about how these people were converted. The people to whom he's writing scattered throughout Asia Minor. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. And the, the key word here for Peter's purpose, it's all important, but the key word is believes. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. And then he goes on and he underscores the implications of that word believes. This precious value, that is, being part of the people of God, being built up as a spiritual house and a temple to offer sacrifices, this precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief corner, the, the very corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble, because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here's, Paul, here's Peter's point. Peter's point is that now the Gentiles, by faith alone, are part of the new covenant community. And the people who once had all of these promises are not part of the new covenant community. The absence of faith, the rejection of the Messiah by the Jews, excludes them from the new covenant community. And the faith of the Gentiles includes them in the New Covenant community. So, all of the promises, and here's my point. The promises made in the Old Testament, which pointed forward to the New Covenant community, which were written in the language of the house of Israel, the tribes of Jacob, is transferred from the Old Covenant community to the new covenant community so that it's proper to take those promises in Jeremiah 31 for example and apply them to the new covenant community because Peter says they don't get those promises you who once were not a people who had not been shown mercy you get them because of faith in Jesus Christ alone okay so this is how we understand the statements in the Old Testament, which seem to include only Jews, to include believing Jews and Gentiles. And you'll find this um, 
probably one of the more difficult passages in the scriptures is Romans chapter 11, where God says that the Jews were broken off and the Gentiles were grafted in. And then at some time in the future, the Jews will be grafted back in. This is, this is the principle upon which that passage dwells. That God has broken off certain branches and has grafted in certain branches. The Jews are broken off. The Gentiles are grafted in. And he says God is able also to graft the Jews back in if they do not continue in unbelief. So that's the principle in Romans chapter 11. Okay, so this is what makes the new covenant new. I know it's a lot to try to assimilate all at once, but the mediator makes the new covenant new and the constitution of the community, who makes up the community, that makes the new covenant new. It's not what the old covenant was. It's the new covenant with a new community. But then... The promises make the new covenant new. The promises make the new covenant new. And I, I think you'll agree. If not, you can tell me. Uh, not right now. Um, the scriptures here, which speak about the new covenant, say that it's enacted on better promises. And the better promises can't be the same promises as formerly. There are some promises which do match both the Old Covenant community and the New Covenant community. For example, God promises to his Old Covenant community, I will be their God and they will be my people. In fact, that is one of the common promises in all of the covenants. I will be their God, they will be my people. But that is not the whole story. It's important, but it's not the whole story. God does some things for his new covenant people, which make the covenant new and better. So, what are the better promises of the new covenant? Well, the, the first and the most important, I think, is that the law is written on the heart. The law is written on the heart. And God says that in Jeremiah 31, 31. He says it in Hebrews 8.10. He says it again in chapter 10, which we have read. This is what God does. Now, one of the problems that this causes when you think about it is that the law of God was written on the hearts of some Old Testament believers. The law of God was written on their heart. Um, it was written on the heart of Adam and Eve. That was how God created man in his own image and righteousness and holiness of the truth. Adam and Eve had the law of God written on their hearts. And after they sinned, the law was there still. Unregenerate man does not have the law perfectly written on his heart. He has what Paul calls in Romans chapter 2, the work of the law written on the heart. I think that commentator is right who says that they calls it the work of the law because it's like it's like that the old buildings in ancient Greece you see the building there you see the pillars the roofs missing various parts are missing that's the work of those temples but it's defaced and it's not what it once was 
the law of God is written on the heart of the unbeliever. Everybody whom we make in this world has the law of God, something of the works of the law written on the heart, but it is defaced and it is imperfect. What, what, um, it was written on the heart of David, for example. You read him in Psalm 119, and he says things like, Oh, how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Uh, Psalm 119, verses like verse 11 and verse 32 and others. You see, David had an internal principle of the law of God. You have, um, turn please to Psalm 37. Here's another example. So I'm not, not trying to say that the old covenant community, nobody had the law of God written on the heart. So in, here in Psalm 37, verse 28, he says, For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones, they are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. So here God is specifically singling out the righteous believer of the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. And he says the law of his God. He loves the law of God. He meditates upon the law of God. He seeks to remember the law of God. But not all the people of Israel had the same blessing that David had and that the regenerate had. So the Holy Spirit does something for believers under the New Covenant that he did not do for the whole Old Covenant community. Remember, the Old Covenant community consisted of descendants of Abraham, whether they knew God or not. So, what the Holy Spirit does is he circumcises the heart. And in Romans chapter 2, I think we have a little bit more time here, so we'll... We'll make this Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And here, the Apostle Paul makes this point about what God does now for his people. And basically, what Paul does as he says, look, you may be a Jew now. That doesn't make you part of the new covenant community. That doesn't give you the blessing of the law written on the heart. Notice what he says. He says, uh, let's back up just a little bit. Okay. He says to the Jew, verse 25, for indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. You might be circumcised in your body, but you are fundamentally uncircumcised. How does that work? So Paul goes on. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? 
And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will not will he not judge you, who though having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So you see, what Paul does is he says, there is a physical circumcision which the Jews had that was part of their covenant. In fact, in some texts in the Old Testament, circumcision is called the covenant because it's so important to the covenant community. But in the new covenant, it's not physical circumcision, but spiritual circumcision done by the Holy Spirit in the heart. So, one of the things you'll understand from this is that the Old Covenant community was, did not have their hearts circumcised. I, I won't have time, but I'll give you the texts anyway. They needed circumcision. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 to 16, there Moses tells the people, you have not yet had a circumcised heart. Deuteronomy 10, 14 to 16 and Deuteronomy 36, God says they, they're going to be circumcised. And Deuteronomy 36 speaks of a time in the future when after they have experienced the judgment of God upon their nation, that God will circumcise their heart. That's a new covenant promise. And in Jeremiah 4.4, you have another one of those texts which speaks about the fact that the old covenant community did not have circumcision of heart and they needed it. So this is what makes the new covenant better. The law of God is written on the heart, the circumcised heart of the believer. I'll just briefly touch on a few more things before I'm done here. The people who are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ have a genuine relationship with the triune God. They have a genuine relationship. The promise of the Old Covenant community to the Old Covenant community is I will be their God, they will be my people. And uh, interestingly, in Jeremiah 31, uh, and if you want to turn there, we'll just, we'll just look at that. This will be the last text we look at. I want you to notice that although they had a relationship with God, there was something missing to the relationship which is supplied to the New Covenant community. Jeremiah 31, 33. He says, This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they won't be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Now, here's the point. In the old covenant community, they didn't all know the Lord. They had an external relationship with God based upon their sonship from Abraham. And God says they had to tell each other. They had to go around and say, you need to know the Lord. Because they didn't all know the Lord. 
in the new covenant, in the old covenant community, internal evangelism was necessary and appropriate. I love that phrase which was taught me many years ago. There was internal evangelism in the old covenant community. In the new covenant community, internal evangelism is the exception, not the rule, because God says my new covenant community is going to know me. So that's why I say, this is one of the things that makes the new covenant community better because the people of the new covenant community have a genuine relationship. They know the Lord. So we don't have to tell one another. We shouldn't have to tell one another and know the Lord. This is the blessing that we enjoy as the new covenant community. Well, let's Amen. give God thanks. Amen. Father, we do thank you that although we were strangers and aliens, dead in our trespasses and sins, that you by your spirit made us alive together with the Lord Jesus, and you have circumcised our hearts, and you have put your law upon our hearts. Although we still sin, and we still need forgiveness, yet, Lord, you have so worked in us that we love your law, we hate our sins, we repent of our sins, and we walk in your ways by your grace. So thank you for what you have done for us in the new covenant. Help us to rejoice and worship you with greater love and delight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.